Hi everyone, welcome to the Idiots Podcast, that's infectious disease insight of two specialists. I'm Jane, that's Callum, and we're going to tell you everything you need to know about infectious disease. Soon may the editing come to discontinue the Tezo sun. One day when the CRP's done, we'll take our leave and go. Twas the night before Christmas. We were all having fun, but Callum and Jane couldn't think of a pun, so instead we decided though it filled us with woe, to just jump straight in to this Christmas episode. Callum, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm in Christmas mode. Wearing my Christmas jumper. I've got my Christmas glasses on. Wearing my Christmas contact lenses. Oh my God, I'm having my Christmas whiskey. Christmas hat. Christmas socks. And rarely, for an episode, you've done the prep for this. So what are we talking have, about today? I know what I'm talking about for once. <laughs> Although actually, it's just what was in my head already. But I think it's good to go through, actually, yeah. Particularly for right. like our non-senior reg consultants members. Do you know, the idea for this episode, for me, came from a colleague. And actually, often this is where I get ideas for episodes for. Was a colleague asked me the other day, they said, Callum, how do you think about antibiotics? And I was like, oh. And I hadn't really thought about it, like, like thinking about antibiotics. But when people, when I'm like on a ward round and I'm like teaching more junior members of the team and they ask me about antibiotics in a specific situation, what I often do, and this is, I think this is quite often what I do when I start teaching ward round anyway, is I get a scrap piece of paper and a pen and I just draw a diagram because I always find that helps one for me to of get that schema of thoughts across like yeah, that the way yeah. that i structure my thinking because mm-hmm. i think in a diagrammatic way often so it helps me explain it and it hopefully helps transmit that understanding to other people and so i thought it might be useful i'm just going to explain how i think about antibiotics when i'm making a decision about which one to choose in a situation okay now this is one to uh, have a look at the prep notes for as well, because Cam's done a, a sterling job at going through all the individual bits. It's colour coordinated. Uh, we'll put a link to that, of course, in the show notes, as we always do. Uh, but Cam, do you want to? For the, what an excellent thing to do in a podcast medium! Describe an image that you've created. <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, just explained why the drawing was useful. It's an immediate shot in the dark, isn't it? I'll try my best to paint you a picture. Was it they say? words paint a thousand pictures or yeah something like that yeah so go yeah I'm sure so that's go on. what are we doing here what are we yeah, doing? Yeah. so just i'm gonna walk through it and if you want to open the prep notes i know a lot of people are driving while listening to this so don't do that and that would be bad but when you stop driving you could look at it then so i guess the way i think about when i'm choosing antibiotic is i start with the bacteria mm-hmm. and then work my way up the antibiotic and I start the basics and I'm going to build up a patchy lasagna of the antibiotic selection here. Oh, a very Christmassy uh, analogy, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, Christmas. In Italy, at least. So I basically draw out a diagram and it's four squares. And in the top left corner is gram positive cocci. In the bottom right corner is gram negative bacilli, as our two main group. And then in the right, I've got gram positive bacilli. And at the bottom left, I've got gram-negative cocci. So I've got my gram-negatives at the bottom, 
gram positives at the top, cocci on the left, bacilli on the right. And there are four quadrants. And then I think, okay, that's the four main ways I would categorize things. But don't forget anaerobes. And anaerobes, we'll come on to talk about them later on. Essentially, they cross all four quadrants. So I chuck a little square in the middle, covering the intersection of those four squares to say anaerobes. Yeah. And I think that's a very basic starting point for to categorize bacteria. Yeah. That's how I think of them as well. So, yeah. And then what's the next step? And then I think a little bit more into, okay, what gram-positive cocci are the most important ones? So I'm going to write down some genesis of, of bacteria, staphylococci, streptococci, intracocci. Um, in my gram-negatives, my gram-negative cocci, I'm thinking the seria, so gonorrhea, meningitis. Gram-positive bacilli, let's just say listeria. And in gram-negative bacilli, I've got interbacterialis. So just, just, just think a little bit about what organisms are we talking about in those groups. But this worth thinking about some key organisms that we may or may not need to cover. And I add those in as a little box in the row and highlight them when I'm talking about this. And I say, okay, so in the gram-positive cocci, we've got the staph, we've got the strep, we've got the intracocci. On a very basic level, the other thing I'm always thinking about is MRSA. Now, luckily, there isn't that much MRSA where I practice, but it's always worth thinking, are the MRSA positive before? What's the prevalence that they traveled? In centers yeah. where there's a lot of MRSA, this is probably more routine. Totally, yeah, yeah. Um, you could put in more complicated things like vancomycin-resistant enterococci, but we're going to keep it really simple. I'm not talking about that now. Yeah, so this is set at the sort of early years trainees yeah, infection. Yeah, yeah, trying to keep this real simple. Yeah. Because this is most of the time on wardrobes, I'm teaching this to two years postgraduate medical students totally yeah uh, what about the on the gram negative bacilli section yeah so the, the, on the gram negative bacilli section the other key thing i think about is whether i have to cover this or not is pseudomonas aeruginosa yeah. so i suppose because those two are the, the sort of big difficult to treat or relatively difficult to treat and relatively common uh, examples of their class yeah and so that's where i get to with that categorization now I'm going to add in two more complications. So the first one is that not all organisms will stain with your gram stain. So some just lack a cell wall or the stain doesn't get in. One way of talking about those is saying atypical organisms. And how you define that changes, and it's a quite vague class. But to keep things simple, we often think about some atypical organisms. And some example of that would be things like mycoplasma species, chlamydophila, chlamydia, and Legionella. Hmm. And I just, that could be a very long list that we could think about Borrelia. You know, we could think about lots of things. Yeah, but all those things that you just mentioned are stuff that either doesn't have a cell wall or lives intracellularly and so are difficult to sustain and pick up on gram. Yeah. And then I'm going to make it even slightly more complicated as well. So we've said that not everything stains gram positive or negative. Not everything is um, neatly coccoid or bacillary. So not everything fits into those brackets. So there's these things called coccobacilli, which straddle between the two of them. And when you get them under a gram, it's hard to tell them. An example of one of those would be Haemophilus influenzae. We went through the ASIC group before, so that are your HASIC organisms. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of them are, are coccobacilli. So now we've got a picture. We've got four quadrants, gram-positive cocci, gram-positive bacilli, gram-negative cocci, gram-negative bacilli. We've added in the sort of main species. We've added in MRSA, anaerobes, pseudomonas. We've got 
cocobacilli, so gram-negative haemophilus, and we've got some atypical organisms. And I've drawn that out. And to be honest, saying that out loud, it sounds complicated. I think if you draw that when you're thinking about it, it does make it a bit easier to map out where you're going. Yeah. So where do you from there? So that's nothing to do with antibiotics. Not even said a single antibiotic yet. <laughs> let's apply it to a clinical condition then. So let's talk yeah. about CAP. Yeah. So I thought community-acquired pneumonia or CAP was probably a good place to start because I think even medical students should have an understanding of the main organisms here. And it is a common thing that we see. And there is a, a, a quite a large range of bacteria that can cause this. But the most common ones that we think about are the streptococci, specifically streptococcus pneumoniae. And then going down in the list of what I think the prevalence is, but it depends on your local area and epidemiology. But next, I'm thinking about Haemophilus influenza. And then I'm thinking about atypical like mycoplasmas. There's a lot of that around at the moment locally. Yeah. And Chlamydophila, Legionella pneumophila. And then I'm thinking about Klebsiella pneumoniae. And then finally, I'm thinking about maybe like beta hemolytic strep, like strep pyogenes can sometimes cause it. And there's also on that list, there's loads of other things so like Staph aureus maybe. There's a really, really long list as with many things in medicine, but you want to think about the things at the top of the list before the book. I think that the stuff that you've put there plus viral, because never forget. 10% of caps are viral. So about 90% of all caps are there. If you added Staph aureus in. So So yeah, that's a pretty good list. Yeah. So if I was showing someone this in person, I'd probably write those organisms in or what I would do is I would ask them and get them to tell me. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's more fun, isn't it? (laughs) Everyone likes being put on the spot. So we've got the organisms with the clinical syndrome. So now, finally, we get on to thinking about the antibiotics. And so this is where having a bit of knowledge about the antibiotics applies. So when I think about amoxicillin, if I was talking about this in person, I would say, okay, here are the organisms, which one does amoxicillin cover? And as with many things, it's not straightforward as it covers this and it doesn't cover that. So amoxicillin in the UK will pretty much cover all strep pneumonia because there's not really much penicillin resistance. No, so we've got a big tick really. against that. It'll cover most Haemophilus influenzae, but not all. Some of them have a beta-lactamase enzyme. Yeah, and some have a PVP mutation as well. Exactly. Which we covered in our hurrying through Haemophilus episode, but I don't know what proportion are amoxicillin sends to. I I think it's most, Callum, isn't it? Yeah, I think most. And then you may be getting a little bit of anaerobe cover, but that's not that important here. Not relevant here, but... Not relevant here. You may be covering a little bit of gram-negatives, but you're not covering Klebsiella pneumoniae because it's intrinsically resistant. Mm. And a couple of other things in there. But we're covering the top pathogen, and most of the second top pathogen. But in someone, and it's worth pointing out that in community-acquired pneumonia, we categorize patients into low, medium, high risk using, in the UK, some, often something called CURB65 score. There's other scores. We talked about that in the pneumonia episode. Mm. Yeah. And so when someone's low risk of being un, very unwell, I think you're willing to accept less broad coverage because you say, actually, if we have really broad coverage, the risks of the antibiotics probably outweigh some marginal gain benefit. Now, what we then do is think, okay, well, that was amoxicillin spectrum. Let's think about comoxiclav. What do we gain from, from adding in comoxiclav and what are the downsides? So we're going to comoxiclav. We're then thinking, okay, we're going to cover much more of the thoughtless. I think the beta, Calm, I think the beta-lactamase production is more common than the PBP mutation. 
So okay. I think you're partially right there. And we're going to get more Graham Knight to cover, so more of that Klebsail and pneumonia. And we're going to move into Staph aureus cover, which could be important in some community-acquired pneumonias. And, and it's worth mentioning both Amox and Comoxoclav will cover Listeria, which rarely causes pneumonia. And we've got more anaerobe cover, not really relevant in acute pneumonia. Even aspiration, it's not relevant. We'll come yeah. on to that at some point in a rant, I think. Ah, yeah. and the, but the key thing here is we're not gaining the addition of atypical organisms. So you might think, okay, amox, go up to Comox Club. But we are missing some stuff there. Yeah, yeah. And just because it doesn't have a cell wall, you won't get to it. So what can we use then, Callum? If you want Often here, so macrolide antibiotics, so maybe your clorpromycin, erythromycin, azithromycin, they're quite often added in. And I guess you might wonder, why do we add that in? So on the diagrams, I've added in a different oh, so, color. So I put in the first pitch in black what amoxicillin covers, nencomoxiclab. I've added it on top of this uh, clorpromycin, because that's what we use a lot, a shock horror to people who don't use clorpromycin. Huh. And in green, and that really is adding, it's thinning down. It's got coverage for quite a few of our gram-positive cocci, although resistance rates are quite high where I work. They might be different where you work. And um, it's not really adding much else, though. It'll cover, I think it's debatable whether it covers Somophilus influenzae. But really what we're adding that in, well, the added benefit of that is, is your atypical organisms. So your mycoplasma, camelodophila, and it's got, Pretty good Legionella activity. I don't think anyone would say it's ideal, but it does it does work. And so you're filling in the gaps for where you were. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. there is another antibiotic that we could mention here at this point, Callum, couldn't we? Oh, yeah. Perhaps Everyone's one favorites. could say our favorite antibiotic. Perhaps the whole favorite. ID community's favorite antibiotic. You're not allowed to choose favorites. <laughs> so doxycycline, as you may have guessed. Comparing that to the spectrum of action of the other ones that we've just outlined, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cover most of our gram-positive cocci. There will be some resistance. It's probably, you're probably going to find more resistance to doxycycline in strep pneumo, which is our main pathogen, than you would to something like amoxicillin or uh, amoxicillin clavulonic acid. Um, but it also covers atypical organisms, although not Legionella. It'll cover most Somophilus influenzae, but there'll be some resistance, and it'll su- cover some little Klebsiella pneumoniae. So I wouldn't say it's ideal if someone's really sick, but if someone's not that unwell, then it's got a broader range of pathogens it covers than, say, amoxicillin, and it's much less of a... The, the side effect profile and risks of that compared to something like Comoxiclav and Clorifermycin is much lower. The, all antibiotic choices are inherently, I think, very complicated. If you get down deep enough, as most of medicine, you can overcomplicate everything. And I think most people, when they're choosing antibiotic for CAP, they follow the guideline. Die. And, and that's fine. But, but what but, you're describing, Callum, is how the guideline is chosen. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? This episode could almost be called How to Build a Microguide. Because what you're doing is you're identifying all the bugs first and then secondary the bugs that matter for that clinical condition and then you're selecting the antibiotic based on your local resistance patterns to be sure the expected susceptibilities of those bugs in that condition just to defend doxycycline for a second there's been a systematic review or a review published recently of its 
performance in CAP. And it was as good as any other comparable therapy. So it was compared to broad-spectrum beta atoms. It was compared to respiratory mm. quinolones. There was, for community and for non-ICU uh, hospital uh, treatments, it was non-inferior. So that's uh, something to consider. If you're uh, thinking about trying to ambulate somebody, then you could use doxycycline as an option. Unless you're in an area where there's lots of strep resistance to doxy, in which case I would probably combine it with a mox. That what you say about the combining of antibiotics to improve the spectrum, I feel that when you, if you've got amoxicillin and doxycycline, I don't think that broadening out to comoxiclav plus doxycycline, say, would really give you all that much extra. I, I, I think that you're, you're double covering staph aureus, but I, I don't think you're doing much more than that. Hmm. I, I think it's worth caveating this way of thinking. This is just like how I think about antibiotics in general. But in specific patients, you're going to have more information to, to base your decisions on. You may have past microbiological samples. You may have more epidemiological risks about what organisms are more or less important for MRSA, for example. Oh, I, or if they've yeah. got chronic lung disease and they're at more risk of pseudomonas, you know, what they can colonize. Now, this is a really wide way of yeah, thinking totally. about it. And, and of but course, I, we are discussing in the UK who basically don't use respiratory quinolones. So we don't use levofloxacin moxifloxacin so no oh, but i don't are... think that's relevant now so i would if i was thinking if someone said how do you think about levofloxacin i would still think about it like this yeah, yeah. so this general approach but i'm just saying that we haven't mentioned I... it before now and so the american listeners must be thinking we're utterly insane okay maybe yeah <laughs> i think they think that probably more than just now perhaps the i guess we've i've just plucked out a common barn door thing with some antibiotics that i understand well and made it really simple I hope, but I guess you can apply the same process of working through up from your basic classification, thinking about your main organisms, which ones are important in the specific clinical syndrome you're dealing with, and then think about your antibiotics and your spectra, what you're covering, what you're not covering, what's important to cover, what's less important to cover, and resistance rates locally, and tie all that information in and then go to the patient and think about all the other things are what route you're going to give it by. Yeah, how their uh, kidney function is, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this is part of a much, you know, a much bigger process about how do you choose the right antibiotic in conjunction with the person who's going to take it. Yeah, I thought this was, it, was a good, it was a good question from my colleague, and I hadn't really ever spelled that out, but that's what I ended up doing. James, if someone on a ward round asked you... Would you do something like this, or would you would you just tell them? I don't know. But how would you explain this? I didn't tell you before this episode started, Callum. I have drawn the exact same diagram. Oh no! And do you know what I have? I don't know if I put your tape anaerobes in the middle and your tipples at the bottom and stuff. But that grid thing to explain people, I've got it in a presentation that I gave to <laughs> I gave to medical students, F ones, and uh, nurse practitioners in in Adosh North for several years before I left to, uh, to come south. So I think this is like an excellent way of, of explaining it. And I think that uh, you've taken it on further by applying it to a, a particular disease condition. And like you say, you could do it to anything. You could do it to UTI. You could do it to skin and soft tissue and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, um, 
Yeah, that, that this is kind of I think an ideal way to think about antibiotics, and particularly when you're trying to select. And very often, most of the time, we just do what your local antimicrobial advice says to do. But as you become more and more senior, you kind of have to go back to first principles because sometimes there are reasons that you can't use the first line antibiotics or the second line antibiotics. So all of a sudden you're off the page and then you have to be thinking like, at what point do I do uh, like the weird and wonderful, your ticocyclins and your temacillins and your this is and that. At what point am I going to start engaging those? At what point do I upgrade to a carbapenem? Do I still need to think about atypicals in this situation? What's the penetrance of that antibiotic into that slot? So it gets real complex, real fast. That's complicated. And that's the I fun. I think we could do another episode where we go a bit more deep, deeper into, we could list all the things to think about when you're thinking about prescribing an antibiotic. We are both products of all the training and learning and exposure we've had. So I'm, I don't even know where this has come from. Well, we're simple animals, Callum. <laughs> Nobody's in any doubt about that. Someone's probably shown it to me or drawn it when I was more junior and now it's stuck. So whoever that was. Oh, it might have been me in 2014. You can't do that. You can't. Do <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think that's how I think about antibiotics, at least a starting point. Maybe in the future we'll come back and say, how do you think about antibiotics part two? Yeah. Next Christmas. Next Christmas. <laughs> there won't be a next Christmas. Ah, fair enough. Merry Christmas, bud. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to the Idiots Podcast, the UK's premier infectious disease podcast. We are supported by the British Infection Association, but they do not have creative control over the episode content, so please don't blame them if we get something wrong. Questions, comments, suggestions? Why don't you send them into idiotspodcasting at gmail.com? Have a five star review in your pocket? Calm and I would love to have it. Please drop it in your podcast player of choice. We tweet at idiots underscore pod. And if you want to donate to support the show, there's a link to do so in the description. But until next time, I'm Jane. I'm Callum. See you then. Now that the episode's done, we hope you learned and had lots of fun. So go forth and treat people with some of what you now know.